Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. The attack on all your senses from minute one. It was incredible. Don't just hand over this device. Educate yourself. I would welcome anything that would help to protect the children further. You know? The same spear we get from them. Very little respect. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with P. DJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I don't know if you're joining us from the office or from the work from home office, the kitchen table or the bedroom this morning, but uh, maybe of interest to you later. As you've been hearing in the news, cabinet ministers had to sit down and finalise some draft law which will give you a legal right to request to work from home. Now, I'm going to find out exactly what that is in a while because you have the right to ask your boss to work from home. Your boss can or will or may refuse. You then have a right to an explanation of why they are refusing. And if you're not happy with that, you can appeal it. That is what we understand is coming. We'll get more into it a bit later. But do you actually want to go back to five days a week in the office? Are you surprised how much you settled into working from home? Or would you rather do two days at home and three in the office or three at home and two in the office? Or as my case has been for the last two years, I do half my day here and the other half at home and I'm very, very happy with that. It suits everything. So that's a kind of a hybrid of itself. But if you had the opportunity to stay, to stay working from home, and we know there's loads of jobs just simply can't be done. Any element can't be done from home. But if you're one of these people who has been able to do their work mostly or all from home for the last two years or so, would you like to continue would you consider talking to your boss about it? If you've been delivering on time, meeting all your deadlines, getting all your tasks completed, 
then where's the problem if your boss has a problem? So we'll discuss that a little bit later on. But I'd like to know what you think. Would you like to, if you have been working from home, would you like to continue? And can you see any kind of a good reason as to why your boss might not let you? That is all coming up later on this morning's Opinion Line. Something you also might like to know. Apropos of nothing, today is called Opposites Day. It's an international day. There's thousands of them. There's everything from International Bun Burger Day to International Ten Pin Bowling Day. It's just today is International Opposites Day. It's where everything is backwards, which suits us in Cork actually, because you know the way. I will, yeah. You know that means no, like you know. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I will, yeah. So, opposite day. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Good morning. I see where Eamon Ryan is on the news this morning, calling for restrictions at hospitals to be lifted. Uh, after we know the Taoiseach's announcement at the weekend, most of the restrictions are gone. We're still wearing masks on the bus and masks in the shop and masks in around the office when we're not sitting at our desks. That's that's fine. But there are still restrictions at hospitals. And Eamon Ryan, Minister for Transport and, of course, leader of the Green Party, has been saying that they should be lifted soon enough. He's calling for it, in fact. I think we will see those restrictions lifted. I think exactly the timelines of it and the operational of it is for each hospital because that's how they were introduced. Unless someone can show that the restrictions are there on the basis of a clear safety rationale, then they should go. And I think that will be the message from government. It will be the hospitals that have to have to operate, make that happen. But I'd be encouraging them to do so. It'd be encouraging them to see this is the government who run the country. Why don't they just tell them to do it? That's always the question I'd be asking. Maybe I'm just in Egypt. And as that continues, we've been talking to Gemma. Now, Gemma's family are very worried about Gemma's nana. She's been in hospital uh, since the start of January. And they're finding it very hard to get information about her. And uh, they've been told lately she's isolating because she uh, was a close contact. Now, when she went into hospital, it had nothing to do with COVID. But now they're, they're finding it very difficult to get information. I've been chatting with Gemma about this. Gemma, your, your nan has been in hospital now for a couple of weeks and you can't get to see her because of COVID still, even though some of the restrictions have been lifted. And you're a bit worried about her. Yeah, so she's been in there now and this is going into her third week. She went in the first week in January. She was went in through A&E with, um, we didn't know what it was at the beginning, a high temperature vomiting and it was advised by the doctor to, to admit her for fluids and, and the IV drip. So she went in through A&E by ambulance and was in an isolation room there for a couple of days before they found a bed for her on the ward. Mm. My mother was allowed to go in to see her for about 5 to 15 minutes um, for the two to three days she was in there, and they um, were waiting for a bed for her. They, they had told us that when she goes to the ward that... We won't be able to see her. Um, we've only lately found out that actually you every patient is allowed um, a visit on the weekends. They're brought down to a glass room and one visitor is allowed to go in. We've been 
not able to to get that because they haven't told us about it until it was kind of this weekend. And when I asked about it this weekend, because they've put her into an isolation COVID ward, um, even though she doesn't have COVID. Just go back a little bit. So, so she went in. She went in through through the emergency department and, and then she had to wait around for, for a ward and without going into any detail, it, it's not COVID related, she's just generally quite a sick woman. Yeah, yeah, she is, she has um, a serious infection um, not COVID related, of course she had her COVID test the minute she went in which was negative before she was put onto a ward at all. Yeah. She went up to a ward then she went in and she was in a non-COVID ward um, she has, I think everybody in the hospital gets tests regularly Mm-hmm. And she had been getting her test every couple of days. And then about two, three days ago, we've been told that she has been now um, in a COVID ward. And we said, why? Um, first of all, we thought that everybody, like like my nan was tested before she went into a ward. Yeah. That everyone was kind of tested negative. It was, you know, everyone was kept, the, there was a COVID ward and the non-COVID wards. And she was already in a, COVID, a non-COVID ward. So, you know, why this, why is this, you know, how has this come about? Um, we're told that they don't have enough beds. I said, but she's already in a bed. Like, yeah. we asked, could she be removed with the bed? Like, the bed has wheels, remove it and put it somewhere else where she's safe. This is, like, highly dangerous for her, besides the worry of her being sick. Yeah. Now the worry of her being highly, highly susceptible of death from COVID. Yes. But obviously there was some, some mix-up somewhere yeah. that that has happened. Um, and then they said that it was a close contact, not an actual positive person. So technically now she will be a close contact of a close contact. Okay. And okay. she still had, they, we were told she would be isolating for five days. Okay. So she's not allowed to leave the room. She's not allowed to have any visits over the weekend or anything. Um, we said, look, obviously we weren't happy that she was put in that dangerous situation. We would have hoped it would kind of be a bit more under wraps and a bit more kind of especially to elderly people who are highly susceptible, sure. um, you know, to be kind of a bit kept together a bit more. But then the five days were up. She got tested every single day. The seven days were up two days, or then we were told it's seven days. The seven days were up two days ago. She has been tested negative six times in the last seven days. Okay. And they still won't, they still won't leave her out of the isolation. And now today we're told that it's hospital policy, that it's 14 days. And now oh. we're saying if it was hospital policy, I don't know why the first and second nurse who told us it was five days and seven days didn't know the hospital policy at the time. Right. And we just can't, there just seems to be no end. We can't get her out of there. And you're obviously worried, Gemma, that she'll Severely catch COVID worried. inside yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're lucky now. She has had six negative tests in seven days. And she's, I mean, that will just tell you that she's completely safe to leave the isolation ward. Yeah. And they, they, they refuse to take her out. They say, no, she needs another seven days now. Like, she's cracking up in there. Her mental health is so low. You're not able to get into her. We're not able. And, you know, we're worried as well for her physical state. We would love to just see her and see how, she, like, she's not eating now. She's, her mental health has gone so low now. She's kind of refusing to eat much. Yeah. Um, and she's just declining and declining. And, all, and she's still obviously actively being treated for the infection. And yeah. she will be... She will be for another couple of days. Now they're trying something else today. Um, they said to her that they they done loads of tests. They said to her that they want to repeat all the tests. Yeah. So I don't know if if they don't know where the results are of the tests or why they want to repeat. I can't get an answer as to why and, they and want Gemma, to repeat And Gemma, is she able to communicate with you? She has her own phone, doesn't she? She has her own phone, but she isn't able to use it much. She 
my mom just showed her kind of how to speed dial my mom. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how we're communicating. But the phone needs to be plugged in and charged. So somebody needs to do that for her. Yes. So we have to ring the hospital to say, oh, can you, can you please charge her phone so we can contact her to, you know, see her form and see how, get an update because my mom was told she was ringing too much and to get updates from my nan. And when was the last time your mom was able to talk to her, Gemma? She was talking to her. She talks to her kind of almost every day once the phone is charged. Sure. Now there's been, we have a friend up there who's a porter and every night that he was on, he went in and charged the phone for her. So that was one way we were able to keep the phone on and keep it charged. Now, sometimes the nurses will do it and I understand they're busy. I do. But if they're telling us you're ringing too much, get the updates off your grandmother and then not charging her phone so that we can't get the updates from her. I mean, how are we supposed to get updates? And have you been able to talk at all to her doctors? We have been to the doctors. Sometimes I'd say there was about twice we were able to talk to the doctor. Hmm. Um, now, I have rang. I rang um, Saturday and I got on to the manager of the ward um, with my complaints because we're just we're just worried sick that she's going to catch COVID never mind sure. the rest of the, sure. the sickness that she has and there's no need you know she's like I said six negative tests in seven days she's completely safe to leave that yes. ward yes um, and they're just refusing and I just want answers as to why they won't let her out um, I asked for the director of the hospital they said they'd leave a message and I never heard back from them. Yeah. So I will ring them before five o'clock again today to just get some answers somewhere because somebody has, like, they can't keep her, keep prolonging her isolation and keep her in there forever. Like, what we have done, Gemma, is we've sent a query to the hospital. Okay, perfect. As to the policy with regard to putting people in uh, the COVID positive area. We'll see what comes back from them, but you're you're just concerned that, like, there she is. She's sick enough as it is at 84 yeah, with a number of things yeah. wrong with her. She's had six negative tests in seven days. But I think you're saying, you're so worried that because she's in a COVID area, you're just desperate, yeah, she, desperately worried she'll pick it up. We just desperately want her to get out of there as quick as possible. Like, the, every day that she's in there, we don't know if the test is going to come back negative or positive the next day. Yes. Like, it's an awful worry altogether besides... The worry of her being sick, this is actually even more worrying. I know. Yeah. Um, to be honest, because if she catches that, then, but, do you know. How's your mum coping? Um, she's very upset. Yeah. The whole fact my cousin just flew home from London. Um, we're all just, we just don't know what to do. We're hanging around, waiting for, trying to ring the hospital, trying not to ring too much, trying to ring her, can't get through because her phone is dead. It's, it's um, I just, we don't know what to do. Okay. All right. Well, look, Gemma, you came to us to see what we might be able to find out. Yeah. We put the question in and we'll see what comes back. And and yeah. it's been good talking to you. Thanks very much. Hopefully we'll get a response and see if they can, someone can clarify what the truth is because we're after getting three different, three different uh, responses about the COVID situation and like she's negative and safe to come out and they won't allow her to come out. Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 Well, we haven't so far received any response from the hospital, although um, Fiona has been back and forth with them since yesterday. If we do get any statement, we'll certainly bring it to you. 0818 96 96 96. How would you feel about the councils using drones or CCTV to catch people fly tipping? Some people think, you know, that's the right thing because you just the other day I was scrolling through one of my timelines 
There was a guy out for a walk in the country on a nice day and it was completely ruined by a load of stuff that had just been dumped out of the back of a car. Um, And that happens all over the place and we've taken countless calls about it. So now a bill is to come forward or to be brought forward that would make it allowable for councils to use drones and to use CCTV to catch people fly-tipping. Talk about that next. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. They can call Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The on Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. So so, Senator Malcolm Bourne, you came up with this idea as far back as February of, of last year, and, and now you're bringing forward legislation. Good morning. Uh, good morning, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, look, we all know that there's a huge problem uh, with the scourge of illegal dumping. We see it in urban areas, in rural areas. I surveyed uh, local authorities at the beginning of last year and discovered that the cost of cleaning up littering and illegal dumping in Ireland and uh, nationally is between 90 and 100 million uh, euro each year. So, uh, uh, but, but apart from the cost, there's obviously the environmental damage. It's hazardous to, to livestock and to animals. And it's just unsightly. And I, I think everyone agrees when you see stuff dumped, uh, you kind of wonder the people behind it, they've no, clearly no civic pride. Um, this is a slightly complex area um, because uh, obviously when you're looking at collecting data using CCTV and drones and, and automated number plate recognition technology, you've got to respect people's privacy uh, as well. Uh, and uh, it's not that local authorities can't do this. It's just that up until now, there hasn't been legislation underpinning their ability mm. to do it. So uh, I've been kind of back and forward engaging with the Data Protection Commission and others uh, to bring forward this legislation, which the government is accepting, um, that will now allow uh, a regime or a system to be put in place whereby Cork County Council, Cork City Council can go out and can install fixed or mobile CCTV or can use drones or can use other uh, forms of technology uh, but specifically for the purpose of catching those involved in illegal mm. dumping. Mm. We would have hot spots where it happens all the time. So would you be talking about fixed cameras? The thing is, if you put in fixed cameras, then the people who do the dumping will just realise they're there and move on somewhere else. Drones really are your friend here. Yeah, drones are. And, and, and this is about... Uh, and, and, and this is why the legislation is designed to be technology neutral. Uh, so... You know, if there are some new technology that emerges in the next few years, uh, that that we'll be able to deploy that as well. But certainly in the case of drones to fly over whether urban or, or rural areas, um, but it must be, and, and there are requirements within the legislation, it has to be for the specific purpose of trying to catch somebody who's involved in illegal dumping. Uh, the, you know, the, 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 the council can't use 
the drone for any other purpose. Mm. Uh, it must be specifically for the purpose of dumping. Um, but I think we, we've got to use everything uh, that we can uh, to catch uh, those who are responsible. Uh, and if you are caught and the evidence uh, is used to convict you, uh, certainly we're, we're talking about looking at heavy fines, um, but I believe that repeat offenders should be imprisoned. Uh, I think causing that sort of environmental damage and also because, as we all know, I mean, there are tidy towns groups and local development associations who do incredibly good work keeping all of our communities tidy uh, and yet that work is, is undone by a, a small number of selfish individuals. Senator, when, when the cost of it a year is, as you say, about 100 million of, of fly tipping, the government of which your party is a member, are you doing any work to try to find out why so many people are fly tipping? Like a suggestion might be, well, maybe doing it properly is too expensive. But I, I, I don't accept that because if you, if you look at most of the, uh, you know, the bring centres or the recycling centres around the country, and, and, and I accept that, you know, there might be a, a charge of a couple of euro to go in there. So let's say you have a mattress and you want to dispose of it. And a lot of local authorities have mattress amnesties, uh, you know, and are innovative in, in, in terms of trying to encourage people to dispose of the waste responsibly. Um, it's often cheaper to go in and pay that two euro or whatever it is to dispose of your mattress properly rather than the cost of fuel to drive out into a country area and uh, to dump it in a beauty spot. Um, a- apart from anything else, uh, I-, I really think that-, that we have to look at civic responsibility here about you know how we care um, for our communities. Most of us take great pride in where we live, whether it's urban or rural, mm. uh, in, and and trying to keep the area looking um, reasonably well. And when you have a small group of louts who just have no respect for that, um, and and particularly when the costs are you know minimal, we, yeah. we've got to address but, that. But, I, um, but have any has any research been done into why people do it? I, 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 I'm not I'm not aware of, of any research um, you know I, I, I suppose it's like why anyone would engage in, in any criminal activity um, you know people think somehow that they're they're saving money the reality is in, in many ways they aren't but people who just decide you know I don't want this item in my house anymore or I have this load of rubbish uh, look, I think it'll be just cheaper to to throw it over a wall or throw it over uh, over a hedge. Uh, and I, I I think quite frankly, and I, I'm sure most of your listeners will probably agree with me, um, it's just not acceptable. We need to deploy whatever technologies we can to be able to catch these people. What about communal bring areas like you have, for example, in many parts of Spain? We have down the end of a, of a yeah. road, there's a load of huge skips and you just bring your stuff and every so often the council comes along and takes the stuff away. Wouldn't that make that make life a bit easier for people? It, it could. Uh, I mean, the, the one key thing we by the need way, to... By the way, Malcolm, to... I'm not condoning anyone who does this, by the way. I, I think it's yeah. a despicable yeah, thing no, to no, do. I... But I'm just looking at the reasons as to why. Yeah, I, I, I think, you you know, we can be innovative. I mean, one thing we, we do need uh, to try to ensure that we continue to do is to incentivize people uh, to recycle. Um, you know, uh, I mean, if, if you have, and I, I, I know the example you're giving in Spain where you do have a number of these different types of, of, of skips, for want of a better phrase, uh, and where we can encourage people to recycle and so on because there's a... 
unfortunately we you know we waste a lot uh in ireland uh, and there is kind of you know a process of education there about how we can reduce our food waste you know how we can recycle and upcycle more uh, materials and, and i'm not suggesting simply by using cctv that it, this is the you know the magic bullet that is going to solve um all of the problem there there certainly needs to be education and so on as well but I think that no matter what you do, no matter how easy you make it for some people, no matter how many educational and information programs mm. uh, you put in place, um, you know, uh, uh, with reference to other events, you know, there is no vaccine against stupidity and ignorance. Uh, and unfortunately, we have a small group of ignorant thugs who are out there uh, who just don't seem to care, who have no sense of civic pride. Uh, and for the rest of us, um, you know, we, we need to ensure uh, mm. that action is, is taken. So I, are you suggesting, for example, that uh, you, a, a drone or a fixed camera picks up a motor car with someone emptying the boot into a ditch and they pick up the, the number plate and the owner of the car is traced and charged because someone might have borrowed the car? No, well, well, but that's that's correct. I mean, uh, so the uh, the legislation provides for the technology to look at identifying, you know, who is there. Um, so, if, for instance, an automatic number plate recognition system um, picks up a car from which stuff is being dumped, uh, then obviously the the prosecution letter will be sent to the owner of that car. But no difference to, you know, if you're caught speeding on the road and the Gatso uh-huh, van uh-huh. Uh, picks up you know, your car registration, you can always indicate, uh, look, it wasn't me that was driving on this day, it was it was somebody else. So in a similar situation, if it's your vehicle um, from which the stuff is being dumped, but you weren't the one who was doing it, it's up to you to nominate a name or whoever sure. is uh, responsible. So you're going to bring this uh, before the Shannon and then it goes into the process and we all know that sometimes the process moves slower than the average glacier. So, so when might it move? Well, this has been, I mean, there have been efforts on, on this and I, I made efforts moving on this bill last year. Um, there were a number, and, and I know other colleagues have been trying to move on this as well. It, it, it's not the simplest thing to do because we've got to ensure that individuals' data protection rights are protected as well so that, you know, that they, the cameras aren't used for other purposes. So that's why I had to be careful and built it in and worked with the DPC to make sure the legislation covered now, that. Now, to, to a layman, that sounds like a kind of a, a silly thing because if that's all you're using it for, that's all you're using it for, all you have to do is say that's all we're using it for. Why does it, why does yeah, it be but, so complicated? Well, it, it it's, it's so, so let's say, for instance, and, and you might be aware that there is a case involving Limerick City and, and County Council at the moment where there was evidence that the council used cameras effectively for surveillance purposes uh, rather than for this, you know, the specific aim of identifying right. people involved in antisocial behaviour. So it, it is important that we look at trying to strike the right balance um, between an individual's right to privacy. You know, I, I don't have a right to use a drone to go and follow you around when, when you're driving your, in your vehicle, um, but at the same time ensuring that we do pick up uh, antisocial measures okay. uh, such as dumping. So, so, so the government is accepting the legislation that I have. Uh, I'm hoping that either it will progress the bill pretty quickly or wrap it into there is a planned circular economy bill due before the Oireachtas this year. I would love to see 
uh, this legislation in place underpinning the work for local authorities by this summer. Uh, I know that, that tidy towns committees all around the country are looking for you know these additional um, powers because it breaks their heart when they clean up an area and then see some loud coming along and, and jumping on it afterwards. I'm going to be putting uh, you know my, my uh, government colleagues under pressure to try to do this but I know this is something that has, has cross-party support. Mm. Question, quick question before I let you go Senator, you may or may not be aware of this but if I find, or sorry, if a local authority finds flight tipping in a country area or a count or a city area and they open a bag and a simple thing like a torn up utility bill pops out can you use that information to track down who dumped it yes uh, and that will become the basis so you can be prosecuted uh, so even if you you know even if you sort of say, well, I, I, you know, I don't know how it got there. You'd be asked about that bag, uh, you know, even if you gave it to a waste disposal company or whatever. Um, and, and can I say, I mean, it, it, it is a case that local authorities are getting more sophisticated. So it can be, you know, things where, uh, and I know the case of, of, of where somebody wanted the, you know, the, the loyalty club points cards for a particular supermarket, you know, being found in a bag and it was able to be used to try to identify the person. So a local authority will, you know, go through the bag and use whatever way it can to try to identify the person who's dumping it. Unfortunately, some dumpers are, you know, quite smart to this and try to ensure that there's no personal identifying yeah. uh, matters. Um, <laughs> you'd wonder, we, we if they to went to that much trouble, they might as well just pay, pay 20 quid and take the car to the dump. But, but this, is, this is the point. I mean, this is about, it's about civic responsibility. You know, it, it's why not just take your rubbish to the dump or why not dispose of it properly the way that the overwhelming majority of, 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 of people do? Look, nobody likes necessarily having to pay for waste charges, but we know it's an, it's an important function. Uh, that has to be done within our community. This is about making sure that our communities uh, are kept environmentally safe, that animals aren't damaged from it, and, and just showing a bit of civic pride where we live. All right, Senator Byrne, thank you. Senator Malcolm Byrne of Fianna Fáil, hoping to bring this legislation through the Oireachtas. Gods, it's such a slow process that drones and cameras might be used to spot people fly-tipping. How would you feel about that? No one's condoning fly tipping. I don't know why you wouldn't just save it up and go to the dump. We do it all the time. We, you know, we keep stuff out the backyard and every so often you look out the backyard and you think, OK, it is time for a trip. And you go down to the dump, you load up the car and you go down to the dump and the man with the peak cap says the usual, ah, yeah, the usual, away with you. And that's that. And it's as simple as that. But why would you bother taking it out into the country and harvesting it over a ditch? And if you do take it out into the country and harvest it over a ditch, uh, what would you think about being caught by a drone or a fixed camera and landed in trouble for it? 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving. Oh. The Big 
Drive Home, weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. I'm with you every evening, hooking you up with the best playlist for your drive home. We've got Cork traffic covered with the 96FM street fleet, the biggest prizes up for grabs, and there's always a bit of celebrity scandal. I'm running on Paul Street. These two, like, undercover cop cars pull up on the bridge, like, like, jump out, smash them onto the floor. So for all that kind of stuff and loads more, join me weekdays from 4. The Big Drive Home on Cork's 96FM. I still don't understand, though, why this wonderful, as far as I see it, it's a wonderful system they have in Spain, um, doesn't work here, where you have this enormous spring site in the locality, and it's collected from every morning. Last time I was over, I was in Lazenia, there near Caboroy, and I was on my morning walk, and I could be out very early in the morning, and there was this fella had dumped a, a sofa and an old telly and a few knackered house plants, right? They were all dead house plants, and he dumped them into the local bring site. This about half seven, quarter to eight in the morning. I went away, went down for my walk, went down for my morning swim, came back up, I'd say about nine o'clock, but all gone. Whole place cleaned up, gone. Off with the skip, off with it with, with the carpool truck. And I thought, what is efficient and sophisticated way of doing things or is it simple it costs 20 quid to recycle a double mattress says this message uh, dog fouling is a huge problem also and nothing's been done we've reported it many times and still nothing done it's a disgrace we have a dog fouling committee in Cork City Hall just listening to your man about the rubbish to go to the recycling centre it's 3 euro to get in but it's 20 euro for a double mattress or 30 for a king size that's very dear by the way, I pay for my rubbish collection. I pay 10 euro a week in the post office. It's not expensive. No matter what he's saying, that's going to use this technology for other purposes. You see, that's the fear people would have. I'll come back to those messages because, Barry, uh, another kind of litter you found out for, out for a walk with the dog. You sent, you sent us a video and you found this up, up around Farinree. Good morning. Good morning. How are you keeping? Good, good. What did you find? Um, I was out walking for the dog, walking the dogs the other day, and I was come up by um, up by Farron Ferrer, um seminary walk, is it? Yes. But um, and I was just walking the dog. The dog was sniffing around. I looked down and I see the um, the little spoon thing first, that for heroin, you know, the little tin foil spoon thing. Yeah, yeah. And then I just lo- I looked around. I saw then the the little plastic yolks that have the liquid in it. I, I'm not too sure what all that crap is like. But yeah. then next to that, then there was a needle in and everything. But you know. Like, I know that area. I know people's kids who be up around there as well, you know, and people who walk their dogs, like, it's a, it, that shouldn't be happening at all, like, yeah. you know. And from the video, just explain for listeners where, where it was. I mean, anyone could have walked it, it's like. Literally anybody could have walked it. It's, it's pretty much on the main road. The road I was walking up now where the video was shot was kind of an entrance into a terrace that you can cut through to come back into Farnry again. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a used spot for people for walking like you know I've seen people walking there all the time anytime I've passed there but this is the first time now walking up there myself and finding something like that there yeah so what did you do you obviously don't touch that stuff oh I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't touch it I kicked it to the side alright and kind of just put it all together and kind of tried to cover with something so kids or something wouldn't see it like you know yeah I, I know the area there'd be a fair, a fair few kids playing around there yeah, yeah, and there's a new housing state as well, just gone up in there, and it, it's all kind of young people now with young children as well in there, so it, it, it's kind of a bit of a risk there now, like at the moment. Yeah, you see, the problem is when people use that paraphernalia um, for themselves, they then, of course, they're high, 
and yeah. they don't care where they leave it. They just literally stumble away from it or walk away from it and just leave it where they were. So they're exactly. possibly using there, you see. Yeah, that's the, that's, and then, that's, and, and that's the worry. Just getting up and walking away, do you know? So for, yeah. is that the first time you've seen it? That's the first time I've seen it up around there. No, I have seen it, seen heroin yields and the spoons around the north side a few times. All right, even like I walk my dog up around Churchfield, up by the back of the all weather pitches there, and I up along the steps I'd see a few heroin needles and the, the spoons and the little yeah plastic things and everything. Yeah, yeah. No, someone I was I remember quite naively asking a couple of years ago why people wouldn't take their stuff away with them, and to which was very simply explained to me. Showing you when you're high as a kite and the first. The first rush of 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 a dose, you don't care. You just exactly. you just walk away. Um, and in fact, there was one. I remember talking to a woman who parked up inside in town and was letting her child out of the car, and the child's little foot only for having shoes on would have gone straight down on top of a needle. So it's happening all over the place. So you just you just kicked it kicked it out of the way, did you? Yeah, I, I kicked it, I, I kind of gathered it all together with my foot and kind of proved there, well, there was a few cans and a bit of rubbish there as well, so I kind of piled them on top of it. Yeah. So hopefully someone won't go near it, and if it does get found, it'll be found by either rubbish men or something like that, and yeah. it'll be thrown away. Like. Yeah, there's some kind of protective gear for it. All right, listen, Barry, mm-hmm. thanks, thanks for that, good man. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. At least he had the civic responsibility to try and make it safe. You never touch that stuff. You never know what the hell is on it or in it. So you never actually touch it and try and make it safe and possibly call the council and get them to come out and clean it might be another suggestion. Get a few of your queries on working from home. Um, We we will be talking about that later. Uh, The other thing, if you're a boss, we're not all... And we're not going to come crashing down on bosses here, by the way, even though I, I would ask this question of any boss be it a small business or a bigger one, if, if your employee has been doing their job quite efficiently from home and delivering on their tasks day in and day out and, and turning up on their Zoom meetings, what would be the problem with maybe giving them the option to work from home? Uh, if, 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 if you can find an argument against it, what would it be? I know some people were complaining bitterly that public services and stuff slowed down because of so much working from home. Maybe they did. But from here on in, and we'll talk about it later in more detail, you're going to have a right to ask your boss for the option to do your work at home. And if your boss doesn't want you to be able to work from home, they have to explain to you why. And if you're not happy with the reason, you can appeal it. That's coming in legislation why they didn't do it earlier, I, I don't know. But look, it's coming in the legislation. We'll get to it later. 0818 96 96 96. Like, my, just my opinion on the working from home. I wanted to work from home. My mom and my nan went through cancer. Their immune system wasn't great. My manager kept saying, we'll talk about it soon. I wasn't getting any answer. So I didn't like the way other people could work from home and I couldn't. So I left the job. Uh, how was it okay for some people and how was it not okay for me? On fly tipping, hi PJ, why are our government so slow in implementing things that work in other countries, like skips at the end of the road in Spain, as you suggested, or plastic bottle recycling machines that actually give you money, like they do in Ger- Germany or Denmark? All these are free for people to use, yet our government insists on charging us for trying to get rid of rubbish. 
PJI contacted Cork County Council to report someone dumping food waste, food waste, and the response was, I have to get a photo of the person dumping before anything can be done. Unfortunately, that is true. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Vera Toomey has been having a bit of trouble with Facebook lately. Hi, Vera. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm good. You've been having a bit of a set to with the people at Facebook. What happened to you? Uh, well, I, I've, I, I don't know if I've been having a set to, but I've sure been trying to contact them to get it sorted out anyway. What happened? Um, well, uh, since since before Christmas, we've been having problems with the Facebook, and uh, I wasn't able to I, w- I wasn't able to access the account. I wasn't able to to, to log into it, right. and I just thought, you, you know, the usual change the passwords, um, you know, suspicion that maybe you might have been hacked, something like that. You know, you you jumped to that conclusion. And sorry, Vida, was um, this your personal page or a page for the campaign? It the the thing was, PJ, that my my personal page was was just that at the beginning of the journey with this forever. Um so my personal page kind of was the campaign page. There was never an actual official campaign page. It was sure. just worked off my my own page sure. where you have so many friends and when that limit is reached you have followers and so on. Um so the thing with that was that there was, there was, I think, Ash, there was before Christmas time. There was fifty four thousand followers on the Facebook page, um, and the the friends were full and that. So, I always felt that the followers were extremely important to our journey, and that I always valued everyone that followed us very, very much indeed. You know, as as you would. Sure. And. Uh, so these difficulties started to occur and I tried to fix it myself, sent requests to Facebook for help. I didn't get any reply. Then we took it to our local lad inside in McCroom that is very good on the computers. He could make no hand of it. And I was very surprised when he said to me that I should contact a politician about it because um, the Facebook were reluctant to respond to the public. So I went off and I contacted a couple of people that I knew and asked for their help. And I managed to get um, a contact name for somebody in Facebook. Um, And there was sort of emails and stuff being exchanged there. Then it it moved from my Facebook to the Instagram. The Instagram is completely gone now. Um, I'm locked out of I'm locked out of the Instagram. There was, I think, about two and a half thousand people following the Instagram page. That's gone. Then I was locked out completely of the Facebook as well on the 6th of January. And just like maybe about five or six days ago, um, I'm not sure exactly, to be honest with you, a notification for a Facebook post came up on my account. And I said, oh, that's that hasn't happened in a while. Uh-huh. And I, 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 um, I looked look to see if I could see it and my page opened up and the page was back visible to me because it hadn't been visible to me previously, but it had been visible to other people mm-hmm. and they were wondering what it was done. And when, when I saw it, the, the, the Facebook followers have been cut down to 26,000 
and multiple people had contacted me saying to me, oh, you've unfriended me or um, I'm not following you anymore or have you changed your settings and all this. And I've done nothing. I, I had changed nothing and I would certainly not, you know, be unfriending dozens of people at a time. And I just, I just thought like, you know, I'd spoken to Fergal, you know, last week when you called me that I was actually kind of half afraid to come on and talk to you about it mm-hmm. because I felt like maybe if I do talk about it, maybe they'll shut me down completely. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I suppose that one shouldn't be afraid, should they? That you should speak out and you should well, talk you about feel, these if things. If you feel something's happening... Vera, that's that's untoward. Now we've no proof that anything is, but it doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't look good. Have and you had a response when I was Facebook yet, no. Um, the, the the contact that I that I managed to get had spoke about certain restrictions on the account, and that some of them had been lifted, but others were not. And then that confused me because, you know, if you're talking about um, somebody having their account hacked. Well, that's a different conversation to restrictions being on your account and restrictions being lifted. Did they explain so then why I began there was restrictions? Want... No, there was no, there was no elaboration on that. And when I asked, there was no explanation. But um, I had, I had noticed prior to this happening that there was a time when I would do live videos that. Um, you could see how many people had viewed your live and then all of a sudden that that ability to see how many people had viewed a live video that was taken away and I no longer knew so I knew that there was something mm-hmm. but I just I just wondered like you know had had this had this happened to other people or like um you know do do, do other people feel that this is an intrusion i mean for example if you decide to follow a page, you know, you're interested in the topic or you're interested in the situation. Sure. And to have that 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 um that decision to follow or to friend a person, you know, removed from you without your permission, I mean that's an invasion of your rights, isn't it? Sounds that way, doesn't it? And no one's been able to explain to you what uh, restrictions you apparently broke, no? No, and that's the other thing. I haven't broken any rules. Now, I may be, you know, I suppose I might, I'm, in some people's minds, perhaps I might be a bit controversial speaking so vocally about the cannabis, but um, I'm sure that anybody would say to you that I'm not one for bad language on, a, mm. on, a, on, a, on, on the social media. No. And I understand that if you're banned, they will alert you to the fact that you've been banned and you could be out for 30 days or a week or, well, or something happened. like that. No, no. So I haven't actually done anything. And in fact, the the posts that I had been putting up, you know, around Christmas, they weren't really, they were just, you know, they were just ordinary things. There wasn't anything, I, I think, risky so about are, any I'm of it. I'm a bit caught for time. Are you still now looking for an explanation and haven't got one? Is that where you are? I am looking for an explanation and I suppose the other thing that could be very helpful is, you know, that we, we have a we have a Twitter account which is unaffected by this at Vera's One. Um and a lot of people commented about offering help and so forth, but I don't know any of those people, so I wouldn't okay. I, you wouldn't 
you wouldn't risk that. But would anybody have any advice about what to do or have I done the right thing or you, you know what I mean or a similar maybe situation there mm. are a lot of people who listen to us uh, would have vastly uh, better IT knowledge than certainly than, than, than I would and, and maybe they can help Vera thank you very much for that and good luck with everything uh, Facebook staff do listen to us as well we have a lot of Facebook people working here in Cork, actually, and they can contact us anonymously if they think they can help. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Now, Alexandra has gotten in touch with us listening to the point I was making. And it's not the first time I've made the point about these communal skips for want of a better expression uh, in Spain that I've seen so many times and I've been there on my holidays and I love the idea and maybe I'm being a bit simplistic I don't know Alexandra good morning good morning PJ how are you good good now your your, your husband is Spanish I think Yes, my husband is Spanish and he just briefly, like we discussed this before, he was explaining to me that um, uh, those skips are very handy for, let's say, people uh, put everything there that they don't need, like, uh, as you said, like a sofa or a a table or anything like that. And uh, in the skip or just next to the skip. And there's people who might actually need certain things, but they would be ashamed to ask on community yeah. groups or anything like that. Yeah. Or, you know, so um, they call them, they actually have a funny saying, they call them the magic corners because you put something there and five <laughs> minutes later it disappears. <laughs> because yeah. because, because uh, there might be somebody that genuinely needs something, but yeah. they don't ask or they don't have the means to get them and whatever. So, you know how they say somebody it's rubbish it's somebody else's treasure or something correct, like that correct. well basically basically that's that's the idea that um a lot of the stuff that has been dumped there it's actually um, recycled in a way as in somebody else will pick it up and reuse it for as long as they can and they, they might dump it at some stage themselves gotcha. and whatever it's left then it it is indeed picked up by the by the local authorities. I know people pay taxes to the local authorities to have that done, but it, but it's a rare. I think it's a very efficient system to me, anyway. They do, they do. There's usually um, a flat tax that they pay yearly, but like we pay here for our rubbish as well, and it's yes. expensive enough. Yes. So I think it depends on the on the area and like um, on the household. I think they calculate it like more or less like how many people live in the house and things like that so they'll give you a flat rate which gotcha. varies between let's say 90 euros and 200 euros a year huh, which, isn't, which, which is still cheaper than here <laughs> a hell of a lot cheaper <laughs> Alexandra thank you for that and thank your husband in particular for, for, for uh, sharing that with us see it, it does work remember the last time I was over uh, we were staying in an apartment block and there, there were a lot of privately owned apartments and rental apartments and stuff like that and 
I asked on the very first day I was there, I asked where the bins go or where the bags go for the bin. And the management company explained to us that you use Johnny's bins. I said, who's Johnny? <laughs> Johnny Singh. This guy had, fabulous guy. He had this lovely Indian restaurant just down around the corner and he had an enormous communal bin just outside the skip area, just outside his restaurant. And the deal with the apartment block was that the management company gave Johnny a slice of the taxes so that we could dump our bags in his skips. It worked an absolute treat. So for the couple of weeks we were there, we used Johnny's bins. We also uh, frequently dined in Johnny's restaurant and became good pals by the end of it, but, but that is what it is. 0818 96, 96, 96 Bernard says, I was listening there about the needles that were found. There's a fellow called Frank Horgan, and you can contact him. Uh, am I okay to bring out that number fee? 086 0255410, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and he will come and collect discarded discarded needles. Okay, thanks, Fergal. So that number again, if you find needles or spoons or other such paraphernalia, as they say, that's a big word. It just means stuff. Um, You can call this guy and he'll come and collect it safely and presumably dispose of it safely and correctly. Uh, Frank Horgan is his name. 086-0255410. 025541. Oh. Uh, this could open a whole treasure chest. Anyone ask, is anyone waiting for packages to be delivered by on post since early December? Huh? We had a package arrive in Ireland from abroad with customs due. We paid the customs on the 14th of December and it's been stuck there since and hasn't moved. They say it's a backlog due to staff shortages caused by COVID. But sure, it's nearly 40 days now. That seems a bit extreme, even if they have had difficulty. Just wondering if we're alone in that. Is anybody else suffering from that? Just a line on... I'll come back to that one. Yeah, I will. Okay, talking about working from home. And the government will draft, or is drafting, legislation, and will bring it all through to give you the right to ask your boss if you can continue working from home. Mary Connaughton is Director of CIPD Ireland and joins us to maybe address a few issues here. Mary, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, What the government, I think, is planning to do is to give everyone the right who has been working from home, they have the right to ask their boss if they can continue and if the boss says no, they have a right to an explanation as to why. Is that the basics? Um, I think it is, um, PJ. Um, Now, it isn't restricted to people who've been working from home, so it would be right that all employees would have, regardless of their role, and it will be a right to request remote working. What we're waiting to hear is whether that request is for five-day working, remote remote working on a a full-time permanent basis, Mm. because some of the early correspondents indicated that if the employer said no to that, they could then offer hybrid working. Mm -hmm. So there's some nuances we're still not clear on. 
Um, I mean, from a CIPD perspective, we would like this to be um, going beyond just the request to um, remote working, but to see a request for flexible working. And the difference would be you might choose when you would work and not just where you would work. And you might have more freedom over how you would work. Mm -hmm. So flexible working could mean I I choose my own hours Mm -hmm. and, you know, but I get the right number of work hours done in a week. Mm -hmm. Whereas what the government is focused on is remote working, which is just about the physical place where you work. Task-based working. I have this to do and I'll get it done on deadline and on time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, remote working has been um, successful. Home working has been very successful. And our research has shown that um, like nearly half of organisations that we surveyed found that it improved productivity. Um, And we know the employee experience has been very positive. And only last week we had research from the Central Statistics Office, which said that 88% of people would like some form of remote working for the future. But for the majority of that, it was hybrid working. So people still do want to go back um, into the office space and network with their colleagues and work together. And what we found was missing during the pandemic was things like teamworking, networking, Mm. collaboration. They all suffered um, for businesses. So coming together to do um, important work that we need to be together for. So what we're saying to sort of the the people profession and our members is um, bring people together for a purpose. So it's not just you need to be there on Tuesday and Wednesday. But what's the purpose of being there? Because I need to be there with the right people so we can have our team meeting, we can work on a project together, we can do our project planning Mm. and then you know when I have individual um, things to do I can be working wherever I might choose the office or I might choose uh, my home to do my individual work Um, but that's that's, um, you know a tedium enough process to go through and work out for different roles how much time would be on site because it will vary by by team and by role. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people, I suppose, in the last two years, and initially, let's face it, Mary, initially that people thought they were going to work from home for maybe three weeks or a month and not two years. So people have made whole changes in, in their lifestyle, changes to what happens with the children, changes to that, you know, how the day is structured around work. And it's not like you can just finish up working at home this Friday and go back into the office on Monday. There's a whole lot to be changed. Absolutely. Um, yes, we weren't expecting the speed with which the government announced it. Um, I mean, I know uh, nobody in general was, but in fact, even workplaces aren't ready for people. You know, people had their working week, their working, let's say the working month planned from a virtual environment, if that was how they worked. Um, and, you know, all their engagement and their meetings and all were, 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 were planned online. And you don't just, you can't just drop all that. You have to keep going with that. And workplaces might um, wouldn't some of them wouldn't be able to cope with their full employee numbers back while we had social distancing. Mm. So they would have had desks spaced out more. They would have screens in place. And so that all has to be looked at and relayed out. So we would say um, to our members like the, to, this week is not a time for knee jerk reaction. Mm. It's not about rushing back. It's about now thinking through what sort of future ways of working um, do you want to have and make sure you establish them now. So sort of get going on that if it's hybrid working and um, or if you need teams to work together to work out who's in when and mm. um, whatever way you're going to do that. Uh, and listen to your managers and your employees in that. And um, now is the time to start establishing that and take the next two, three months. Because, I mean, apart from just the, the 
the, the, the personal um, reaction to the changes, mm. um, you know, when, when they're so sudden. That, that's something we all have to personally deal with. And um, we also have to get their heads around what's the right thing to do for um, the business and for a team in terms of its operation over the coming weeks. Yeah, like I was thinking of my own situation here, Mary, and from the start of this, I, I do half my day here, which includes broadcast the programme, of course, and then I, I do the rest of my day at home. There was only one month, that was actually this month, last year, January last year, when I was at home for practically the whole month, broadcasting out of home and all of that. I'm quite happy with that half and half set up, and, and I've already said to them, I'm not, I'm not going back, and they haven't asked me to. But other people won't have it so easy. Some I can't understand why an employer would insist on a person going back into the office if they've been doing their job and meeting their deadlines and completing their tasks on time over the past two years. And I think we see a lot of that, um, um, you know, PJ, in terms of employers facilitating what employees want, because the company has found out that there can be that there are efficiencies and savings due to remote working as well. So I don't think we're going to see an awful lot of argument about that. And we also know um, from the research that because people want um, remote working, an employer has to give it in order to retain their people. So as you say, you know, you might have a choice, but actually if you, if you force me to do something different, what is my choice? Um, and employers can't afford that in the current tight labour market. So we will see a lot of this, but it does have to be put on a different footing now going forward because mm-hmm. we're moving into not just a temporary way of working, but trying to find the right way for more permanent. Now, mm-hmm. it still is partly a, a trial for many places, but I mean, it's, it's you know, it can be, well, actually, PJ, we do need you to be in for our team meeting on Wednesday afternoons or we're going to run some development sessions and and the ways of working have to build that in that it's not an absolute that you finish at one o'clock but actually it's a flexibility that you're given to the employer and the employer is given to you and that just takes a bit of teasing out because once one person sort of goes against the grain on that, then you have to start looking at, well, what's the rule around this? Mm. So if somebody says, well, actually, no, I can't come in for a weekly team meeting for that half day, you know, once a week. And then you're saying, well, actually, we need you to be there. Mm. And that's when it can get a bit um, fraught because you have to solve those sorts of problems on an individual basis. Tom can be there, but Mary can't. Well, actually, if you were all in the office, you'd be at the meeting. So I won't, like, I think a lot of people, a lot of employers might think like that. Well, if we were in the office and Tom and Mary and Sheila and Joe could all be at the meeting because they'll all be here. So I'm setting that meeting for Wednesday at half two and I want them there. There'll be a certain amount of that goes on. There will. And if there's a rationale, OK, it's our team meeting, we want to be here once a week and um, uh, communication around it, discuss it with the team. Is this the best way of working? And, um, you know, and 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 that's what we're trying to establish. And everybody knows about it. And I think that's where we need to um, to, to, to get to, because we certainly know collaboration and team working um, dropped. And also the idea that you found out what other people are doing simply from, you know, the coffee machine or the water cooler conversation. Mm. Those things meant that ideas were much much more um, less sharing across departments and less understanding of what others are doing. Yeah. Um, but we're also saying to employers, like bring people back for a sort of, say, a company day and a social event. Yeah. Um, so add a bit of social around this. 
And also, um, one of the other things that we think it's important for is actually for mental health. We actually get a lot of support in the workplace from Mm. our colleagues. Mm. You know, when we're having a bad day, you know, we might have somebody to talk to or maybe they'll, you know, help us out. Um, So we get a lot of support. And some of the mental health issues that we've come across during the pandemic is partly from that isolation. And we need to get back together so that we're getting that kind of emotional support from the workplace as well as actually getting to work done. You also, you can't, and look, it's good, but you can't brainstorm over Zoom. Not really. Not really, in my experience. And we've yet to see that what they're calling hybrid meetings work, which is half of us in the room and half of us online. And, you know, they're they're not, in our view, the best way of doing it. Now, if somebody comes up with one and proves it can work, great. Mm. But you end up with a different dynamic for the people in the room versus the people online. And it's a hard one to get right. It really is. See, where the CSO brought out figures recently where they said mostly it was people between about 30 and, and 45 were, were more anxious for the choice to continue working from home. They're more likely to be digital online natives, I imagine, than, than people a little, a little older than them. Would, would that explain that? Um, I don't know if it does. I mean, although that was the headline from the CSO, the gap wasn't very big. Their figures showed that overall... 88% were looking for some form of remote working. And then for that age group, it was a couple of percentage points higher. Mm. So, I mean, just to put it in context, um, I actually wondered whether it might have had, um, you know, um, parenting, um, you know, issues coming through it. We don't really know what's behind that, mm. um, PJ. Um, and we've also found out from that survey that commuting was an issue. So yeah. if you had a commute of about an hour, you were, you were going to be even more resistant to um, full-time back in the office and so yeah we do have to watch different age cohorts and because we hear colloquially that um, young people um, are interested in being in the office and building their social network and and getting mentoring and development but that only works if there are more experienced people also in there so there's a real equality lens that employers have to look at this and that people who are less in the office don't become visible and lose promotion and pay opportunities that there aren't things that work more um, in favour of men than women that we don't see different age groups being um, differentiated it's going to be a tough time for everybody it's not that easy the other thing you you, you don't have every 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 office, I think, has a Johnny, uh, Johnny or Mary. There's someone who's been there since they built the place. They've done every job in the building. And no matter what you're trying to do, if you need help, Johnny, can I have a minute? You can't do that online. It's much more difficult to have to say, oh, now I have to contact them and set them an appointment to get it in their diary and send them a Teams link or yeah. a Zoom link and, and make it happen. You're dead right. Absolutely, PJ. Um, and um, now that doesn't mean we can ask that Johnny be there, but it might be they're all aware. But Johnny tends to be in on Wednesdays. You know, if I have a choice about yes. when I go in, I go in on Wednesdays because Johnny that. be there. That. You know, that. or Mary will be there, or, you know. So so we, we find our ways of working around mm. those sorts of things, you know. Lastly, Mary, it's a time of change. And I think two years ago, if we, if we thought we'd be looking at people doing half or three quarters of their working week at home, we'd, we'd have laughed. But now we're doing that and a lot of people will continue to do that. Is it a good change, do you think? 
I, I think it's 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 a really good change. I mean, people were looking for it. In fact, we did a survey in late 2019. So just before all this kicked off, we gathered a, a survey data. And what it showed that there was a big increase in requests for some form of hybrid or remote working from employees. But the survey also told us that employers were not responding. So there was resistance in organisations to making this work, but more employees were looking for it. And now what the pandemic has shown is it's proven it can work. And it has convinced a lot of, you know, employers, senior people, managers, this can work and you can also benefit because you can also um, have a better work-life balance, have less commute time and choose how you use your time differently. So um, I do think that the the labour market is strong enough to force its way that we will be living with this. Um, Not everyone will get their way. I mean, we have lots of face-to-face jobs or health sector or retail sector, you know, or distribution sector. We have a lot of face-to-face jobs that people don't have a choice. And I think that's where one of our challenges is going to be, is how to be more creative of around those jobs so yeah. people can have a bit more flexibility. Okay. So can I do that job three days a week and something else two days a week? Are we going to have split jobs because I want some time with that has a bit more uh, flexibility? Okay. All right, Mary, good to talk with you. Mary Connett, Director of CIPD Ireland. Back to work, full-time, part-time, hybrid, working from home. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Do you never want to work from home again? Or do you actually not want to go back into the office at all? Or are you somewhere in between? Interested in hearing your thoughts? 0818 96 96 96 or 083 3 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now the ESRI, the Economic and Social Research Institute, has come up with a survey uh, about climate change. And you kind of go, crikey, who knew? If you tell people, then they'll be more understanding of it. Basically it says that just 10 minutes... Learning the science of climate change increases support. Dr. Shane Timmons is a research officer with the ESRI and he joins me. Shane, it, it seems obvious, but were you surprised by the results? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, so the, the quiz itself, so the questions that we asked people about climate change, they were about the climate change science. Um, so the causes of it, uh, the effects of it, ways to mitigate against it. Um, and then what we did in the survey was we selected half the people who took part. So we had a thousand people, selected half of them at random to see the answers to these questions after they made their guess. And then later on in the study, we asked them about their support for different climate policies. So, for example, the carbon tax. What we found is that the people who'd seen the answers to the quiz were actually far more supportive of the carbon tax than people who didn't see the answers. And again, now those, those people were selected at random and the answers weren't about the carbon tax itself. It was about the science of climate change. Mm. So overall, it suggests that just that bit of engagement with the climate science itself made people more supportive of climate action. Yeah. You, you asked a thousand people uh, that set of questions. In general, how much? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Knowledge that you think is out there? Yeah. So we had a nationally representative sample of a thousand people take part. Um, in general, we found that the sort of basic understanding of climate change was quite good. Uh, so, for example, 90% of people recognize that a human activity is what's causing climate change. If you compare that to a similar question that's been, that's been run in the UK, that they're at 72%. So, so we're quite a bit higher here in terms of the recognition of it. Um, some good recognition of the day-to-day -day sources of emissions like cars and so on. Um, but we also identified some gaps in people understanding. Um, so the gaps in understanding really related to, um, I guess it's people underestimating some of the effects. So for example, um, one in three people weren't aware that the agriculture sector is responsible for the highest share of emissions. Um, and then just to say that this, it wasn't an urban-rural split on this. Um, it, was, it was consistent across different groups. Right. We, we just, we know how important farming is to the Irish economy, but people were unaware of its contribution to the climate situation. Exactly, yeah. So it, it's not denial that it's, it does have no effect, but kind of underestimating the, the, the relationship between agriculture and, and emissions. And then we also ask questions to people about um, sort of individual actions that people can take. Uh, there was good recognition of those actions. So people kind of knew in general what's good for the environment and, and what's not. Um, but where understanding was a bit poor was on, um, again, the sort of what is going to have the biggest impact versus what's going to have a lower impact. So people thought, for example, that if you buy um, unpackaged food, that that's going to have a higher impact environment than, than it is. And people underestimated the benefit of sort of reducing your meat intake and so on. What seems interesting is in, in terms of shopping, We're all told shop local yeah. being good for the environment, but maybe not quite so much. So exactly. So um, 
in general, what the what the science shows and the people have compiled all the all the data on emissions and so on, what you eat is more important than where it comes from. So what you eat kind of gives more of those emissions than than where it comes from. Um, not to say that buying local isn't beneficial, both for the environment and for the local economy. So we're not saying that that's not something people should be doing. Um, more so that people were kind of people who want to do something for, for the environment are sort of overestimating how much of an impact that's going to have versus maybe changing their diet or versus maybe cycling instead of driving and so on. Yeah. yeah. Like, for example, uh, we, we have a, a lot of people love avocados, <laughs> but the air mileage yes. built up by your average avocado, uh, yeah. you know... Um, yeah, so there's um, there's a great resource on this. Now, this is something that I was surprised by myself when I was when I was putting together the the materials for the study and kind of designing the quiz and so on. Um, uh, went to uh, a resource called Our World in Data, where they estimate those things exactly. So, is it um, your avocados being flown in, or is it the cow in the field next door? Like, which one is going to be worse for the environment? Now, what they estimate is actually that a lot of the food that we um, that is imported um, is imported on freight. So the, the the emissions from it aren't actually as high as you might think. Right. Um, so there are some things like like fruits and so on might be flown in, but in general, what you eat is going to have a bigger impact than where it comes from. Okay. So the 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 the, the meat that you're buying that came from the farm thirty miles away could actually be doing more harm to the environment than that avocado or those pears that came in on a flight. Is that what you're saying? That's what the that's what the data suggests. And this is exactly the the kind of um, where we found people kind of didn't have as good climate change knowledge as they had in, in other respects. Gotcha, gotcha. But again, when people were, were informed of this information, um, they they became more supportive of the carbon tax, which we were surprised by because this information didn't relate to the carbon tax. And then secondly, they were more willing to engage in these sort of higher impact and pro-environmental actions themselves. Yeah. And what about people going and travelling? Like, we'll, we'll go back, hopefully able to go back travelling properly on holidays this summer. How, how conscious do we need to be about our, our seemingly harmless yeah. flight to Spain once a year? So this is, uh, with, with flights as well, was where we saw kind of um, more people underestimating the impact of flights than, than I think we might have expected. Um, so one of the, the highest impact actions you can do for the environment is to avoid even one long haul flight. Mm. Um, so that's, that's kind of classified as by environmentalists as a high impact action. Only half the people in our sample knew that it was a high impact action. Most people thought it was moderate or even low. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there is gaps in understanding there in terms of, again, it's the impact that different actions are having. All yeah. of them are, are good for the environment, but it's the impact that each one has. Yeah, no, what I mean is if you, if you take a plane load of people going off to, for argument's sake, Mallorca for a fortnight, they leave a certain carbon footprint with their flight. But, but if they all head in their individual cars uh, to, to Kerry or Galway or Sligo, are, what's, what, it, how does it balance up? Yeah, so um, I, I will acknowledge it. So I'm a behavioural scientist. I'm not a, a, a climate scientist. Sure. But from the, the research on it, it suggests that those flights are having more of an impact than the carries. So that's where the kind of, again, it's okay. it's being local in that case is, is the thing we want, not only for um, the environment, but also um, for our local economies. So finding, having found this out now from the survey, the ESRI, what, how, what use will these findings, what will they be put to? Um, well, firstly, I think it's it's important to 
that it shows that it doesn't take much engagement with the issue, just a bit of reliable basic science for people to really start to, to think about the issue and change their mind. So people ended up with different views just because they saw the answers to our quiz. Um, so we think that's a, that's, it shows a good way to, to sort of motivate people on climate change. Um, and it also shows that people are open to, to changing their mind on it. We don't have the same issue as in other countries where people are stuck in an ideology. I'm a little curious, were your responses analysed by age? Yes, yeah, we did look at age. Um, and in it, we actually found that, um, so in terms of willingness to, to change behaviour and so on, with the questions that we asked, we actually found more willingness among older people than among younger people in the study. Mm. Right. So, so younger, younger people know more. So younger people, um, it seems like the ones who are already doing something, um, that they're, so it's the ones who aren't doing anything for the environment. It's kind of harder to shift their, their behavior. Whereas with older people, there's sort of more scope to improve, but there was a higher willingness to improve oh. um, their own environmental behavior. Okay, it's interesting. It's interesting and a lot of reading in it. Uh, thank you for being with us, Dr. Shane Timmons, Research Officer with the ESRI. Ten minutes learning about the science of climate change and then you support it more. You support the change in your lifestyle more. And he reckons that one plane load off to Tenerife in July uh, actually does more damage to the environment than a couple of hundred cars going to Sligo or Kerry or Galway. And that the meat that you get in from I don't know, County Kerry or County Waterford or North Cork, wherever you get your meat from, that that actually has more of a carbon footprint because it's the fact that it's meat. It has more of a carbon footprint than the uh, posh fruits that come in on a plane from the four corners of the world. Interesting. 0818 96 96 96. On the skips. Yeah, PJ, we're a filthy city. You'll either have it filled by one person in an hour or the scumbags will set it alight. Unfortunately, that's the city where we live now. I would have to agree with you. Um, I think if we did, and it's the one drawback. Because like we saw it out in Toker in the last couple of weeks out there in the where they have a bring site for recycling and stuff across the road from the veterinary clinic there in Abbeville. People could bring their Christmas trees after Christmas and sure how many times were the fire brigade out because some clown thought it might be funny to burn the Christmas trees do you know what I mean yeah I can see that as a drawback I certainly can on working from home John just says in one line he says get them back to the office it's where they belong you sound like you have some very very happy Happy employees, John, if you're an employer. And we're getting a bit of response to the unpost query. I'll come back to it, but to remind you again what it was, this is someone who contacted us to say that they got a package from unpost that arrived in December, needed a customs payment, so they paid the customs payment on the 14th and still haven't had the parcel. They say it's a backlog due to staff shortages, but it's getting a bit Irish now, at this stage, to say the very least. Turns out that person isn't alone. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Arthur Miller's The Crucible is a powerfully disturbing account of the Salem witch trials that took place in Massachusetts in the 17th century. Both productions present their profoundly intense and darkly energetic recreation of Miller's classic tale coming to the Everyman Theatre on the 23rd and 24th of February. Access all areas. Circus Factory Cork have introduction classes in a variety of circus disciplines and are the perfect opportunity to try out a circus discipline before committing to them full time. From aerial arts to high stands or equally just a once-off fun class to try out something new, you can check out more at circusfactorycork.com Access all areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. I'll read some of your responses to packages being caught up in the post a little bit later. I ordered something actually this morning for, for the boy from a company. I won't mention what, who they are now or what it is, but any time I've ordered from this company, I, I've had it within within six or seven days. They're, they're German, and I would have had it easily within a week. So we just have to see. We'll have to see. 0818 96 96 96. Look, it happens relationships end marriages break up couples divorce but you kind of have to make the best of it and get on with one another particularly when they were children or property or anything involved Um, particularly of course children and to rebuild that relationship for your children cannot be easy particularly if you have gone your separate ways and even more particularly if it wasn't if it was nasty well it's never easy I guess but there are times when it could be quite nasty Deirdre McCarthy is a family and social support worker Deirdre good morning good morning looking DJ, at, can you hear me I can indeed looking at your, your Instagram good. this morning it, it, it's you, you kind of it, it happens relationships break mm-hmm. up but it's the old saying, for the sake of the children, we need to try to get on. That's where you come in. It is. Um, I suppose my background is in social work. I would have worked in child protection. So I would have seen a lot of conflict, I suppose, in family situations. Um, I worked in, in it for five years. And I suppose I've taken the step now myself to look at the families, I suppose, that don't necessarily fall into the categories of the Child Protective Services, but that needs support and there's no supports available for them. Mm. Um, so I've, I've upskilled. I, like I have a Bachelor in Social Work and I did a Master in Social Science as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, tra- I'm a, currently doing a trauma-informed um, care um, certificate in UCC as well because I suppose trauma is a huge topic I suppose at the moment and mm. um, we're only starting to gain an understanding of the tra- the trauma that's associated both for parents and children within um, separation, divorce and throughout the conflict of relationship mm. breakdown um, so I suppose my, my uh, ethos I suppose is that 
I offer uh, holistic family support packages. So I look at the whole family unit and um, when they're in a time of crisis, every family goes through some period of crisis. You know, it, it can even be bereavement or anything like that as well. But I suppose my, my bread and butter is the, mm. the relationship breakdown. Yeah. Um, I also, I suppose what I do as well is because of my social work background, um, I assess the voice of the child within custody and access yeah. proceedings, yeah. Um, which, which is actually a very new thing that, that has come into all custody and access that has, uh, you know, that's not amicable, I suppose. Yeah, it can and be, it can be a complicated area. It can be a complicated area. Very. Yeah. In, yeah. in your experience, Deirdre, who is affected more? And this, this may sound like quite a trite question now, but bear with me. Who is who is affected more? Is it the five, six and seven-year-old or the 15, 16 and 17-year-old? Who is affected more when <laughs> mum and dad go their separate ways? I think... They're both affected, but different in different ways. I suppose there's there's pivotal points, I suppose, within child development that I suppose teenagers in particular are very, very vulnerable. And I think people anticipate that they will manage better than they actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose the mental health services in Ireland for teenagers are struggling greatly. Um, I also, I suppose I'm trained in... Uh, John Sherry has a Working Things Out program. It's Parents Plus, which is um, a CBT-based program mm. for teenagers um, that are going through all types of, of crisis, I yeah. suppose, um, whether it's bullying, parent breakdown, um, self-harm and things like that. Mm. But I think the teenagers, they're the ones that are expected, I suppose, to almost understand more when actually they don't no. necessarily. Because they're at a and time a when their own, their, own, their own heads are in turmoil anyway when you're 15 or 16. That's you, it. you don't know your own mind, let alone your parents' yeah. mind. Do, do kids take sides and, and can it possibly be avoided? I suppose that's where, that's where the likes of myself come in, yeah. where I work with parents to try to help them to understand that a child might feel they have to take sides and how the parents actually influence the, the child thinking that. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing a children's book, I suppose, aimed at primary school age children that will help parents, I suppose, and children go through that process. Um, it's, it's an interesting way of writing a book as well, because I suppose I've looked at the fact that um, it needs to be gender neutral. Um, and I suppose a lot of couples aren't necessarily... Um, your traditional couples anymore, you know, that it's not just the mammies and daddies no. anymore, you know, yeah, that we have same-sex couples. Yeah, um, so I suppose there, there's definitely a new area, I suppose, opening up that because well, I suppose we, we are now a more open society and I suppose it's not just looking at separation and divorce from a marriage perspective, Children are affected by by just any a, a breakup. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a marriage. Yeah. Where I suppose the marriage side of it makes it more complicated in terms of court and assets, and but children are affected from all sorts of loss of, yeah. of family members. And I suppose what what I do, and I suppose even I suppose the book that I'm developing has a workbook as well that will go with it. The child often gets forgotten. Um, 
even in, I suppose, mediatory circumstances, because it's it's about the parents and what the parents want. And it's looking at the parents' need rather than actually hearing the voice of the child within that. Yeah. Um, so I suppose, yep. I remember talking to a very accomplished family law solicitor one time um, mm-hmm. who said that the most distressing thing he would come across would be when children become part of the battle. You've got to avoid that at all costs. Oh. Mm. And I suppose I, from my my social work experience, uh, we would have always been aware of when a family might be going back into court because you'd start getting referrals made on children uh, against the other parent. And they're being used as yeah. tools yeah. against each other. And I suppose here, even children hearing conversations and parents not being aware of the impact of them hearing a conversation where they're talking in a derogatory tone against the other parent. You're creating a very unsafe environment for children because they feel they can't speak. Mm. You know, that they can't talk, they can't tell that parent how they feel. Mm. Um, and they're, they're taking on a lot of stress and a lot of burden. Um, and it's coming out then in their own behaviours. And I suppose behaviours, negative behaviours in children are that of an unmet need. And often it's yeah. the lack of support or the understanding of the fact that they're storing all this stress yeah. and anxiety in relation to their situation or the fact that they feel they have to pick sides. Yeah. Um, How often would you have you know, found, Deirdre, particularly in your um, child protection work, but I suppose in this work too, where a troubled or difficult teenager, there, there's a mess at home uh, and and they're carrying oh, it. Mm, absolutely, like I mean, it, it's it's huge. I'm actually a foster carer as well at the moment. Um, you know, I've met teens in such distress, and they're going out and they're drinking and they're they're behaving and they're they're acting out in school and people look at the behaviour and they're like, oh God, you know, there's that's a bad child and I don't believe there's any bad child you know you can be sad you, they can be sad and they can be mad mm. but you rarely come across they a bad child they can be child. angry too and it, yeah. yeah you know and the, you look at I suppose the, there would have been parents drop off teenagers and said take them and I mean what message is that sending oh to a child oh, that drop is them off to, drop, drop them off to child oh god yeah and say take them you know, so you can imagine the, the message that that is giving to that child. And I suppose you would see that, behave, I mean, children, you know, they explore the world, teenagers explore the world. They, you know, they, they go out, they do the normal stuff, but it's when you see this, the, the increase in it, the, the, the fact that it's affecting their lives and their mental health. And in particular, I, I think young, young males there, I mean, the the suicide rates in young males is a lot higher because yeah. they don't feel that they can talk about their feelings. Yeah. Um, Isn't this what they, they call ACE to... theory, Deirdre? Um, adverse childhood experience. Childhood, yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose um, looking at ACE, it's it's controversial in in some ways. I suppose as it's part of a diagnostic tool. I would feel it would be something that I would look at. In a reserved way, I don't feel, I suppose it would have come out as a diagnostic tool initially, mm. um, where it kind of painted a, a very negative picture if a child experienced a, a number of adverse childhood experiences, that they're, 
I suppose their lives are going to be damaged irreparably almost. Yeah. I, I don't believe that. I believe ACEs can give information and it can be a good tool to start off at where a, chi- a child or an, an adult are and what they've experienced in their lives to allow then for other work like trauma work to, okay. to continue. Um, it, it has its place, but not as a diagnostic tool. Okay. I feel it's more of an informative tool. Like okay. uh, that's, I would, I would do, see do, it as do, that. Do, if anybody is listening to us who, who feels that you might be able to help them, where can they contact you? So um, I have an Instagram and my website is actually still kind of under 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 construction um, yeah. construction as we would say yeah. um, I'm actually based I'm based in y'all but I'm actually prepared to I work remotely as well through Zoom or I'm prepared to travel to people um, I feel free to give out my phone number there so will I give out my mobile Julia, number go ahead, is that go okay ahead, go ahead. yeah yeah so my mobile mobile number is zero eight seven one four nine zero seven five eight okay and um that's probably the best way to get me actually okay. either through whatsapp or zoom or through there's actually a way to even um book in an appointment on my instagram as well all right okay if, so it, it can and be booked there uh, your, your your Insta is d dot McCarthy underscore fsc underscore, and that's the yeah, that, okay. That's all right, good talking to you, Deirdre, and continued success with the work that you do. The lines are live, and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396996. And has been on a COVID isolation ward for the last few days. Despite the fact that she doesn't have COVID, she's had clear test after clear test after clear test. The family worried about her being in there and afraid she will actually catch COVID. And because she has underlying conditions and she's 84, they're obviously very worried about her. And because of communication difficulties and all that, she got on to us to see could we find anything out. We did send a couple of questions to the hospital. Um, As I speak, we haven't yet had a response, even though we're dealing with the correct people there and we may get a response in the fullness of time. If we do, of course, you'll get it. Uh, Claire was on, say it was awful listening to Gemma. My mom went into hospital last May. This brings back very bad memories. We never got to see her, even though mom was pleading to see us. They wouldn't let us in. They said she wasn't sick enough to allow a visit. She wasn't great on her phone either. They kept telling us she couldn't hear us. Rang asked them to turn up the volume on her phone. Sadly, she passed away very unexpectedly and none of us got to see her. A person should be allocated to look after the elderly in this situation, even in a voluntary role. I've no doubt there would be people only too happy to help out with our vulnerable and our elderly. Kate then says the worst of it is that people have to go to the media over visiting rights and COVID safety, etc. Even if there are reasons, they never communicated well. There's no one in authority that you can talk to wishing Gran well. We we did talk at one point or other 
over the last two years about look we, we, we got it we get it it was, wasn't that easy to let relatives into hospitals in the middle of a pandemic of course it wasn't but could there be someone set up in a, in a kind of a liaison role that you'd ring and say look my dad is there my mum is there the name could you find out who she is and maybe could we you know get a message to her or something like and the hospital or the ward would have a liaison person and say right well look the liaison person, Kieran or Mary or Tony or someone, will ring you. Will ring you this afternoon, and will try to do whatever you. I don't know why it never happened. Maybe some places did it, but it would have been it would have been so nice to have it to have it happen. We are inundated with people who have delays in post and packages and cards and letters. Uh, this is a person who I believe works in unpost, but wants to remain anonymous for obvious reasons. The delays are awful. I'm hearing about it every day, and it's not just on post. All the couriers, the warehouse workers, everything in the chain is affected in every step. And the parcel has staff shortages have occurred, slowing the parcel down. For two weeks after Christmas, we were down to 111 people from 209. COVID and close contacts of COVID. That's just our office in Little Island. That parcel went through the mail centres with staff shortages and came from a warehouse with staff shortages and went through mail centres abroad with staff shortages. Hopefully give it time and everything will sync up again. And with lots more messages, I will get to them. But there was a letter in the Echo uh, just yesterday um, from Deputy Colin Bork uh, advising musicians to apply for grants that are there to help them get back on their feet. And if there's one group of people who would have been delighted to hear the Taoiseach's announcement last Friday evening, it would have been the musicians and entertainers. And a man we've spoken to many times throughout the last couple of years is Matt McGranahan, um, himself a fine musician, uh, a spokesman for the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. Matt, good morning again to you. Good morning, PJ, and great to speak to you, and hopefully better times. Indeed, indeed. A great sigh of relief, I think, could be collectively heard across the country last Friday. Yeah, I think so, for, for society as a whole, you know, that we seem to be leaving or emerging from, from the, the worst parts of this pandemic. Uh, certainly for our industry, you know, it was uh, 680 days where effectively people were not able to, to, to carry out their work and to perform Mm. Uh, and to earn an income, and and apart from you know moments here and there, but you know there was nothing where where, yeah. where it was uh, any for any great length of period of time or that. You're a track so, musician I mean, yourself. So, like, how much work did you have, Matt, in the last two years? Um, I think some somewhere in the region of about nine or ten gigs in total. Wow. And and I, I I was very fortunate that I think about six or seven of those I managed to get through different funded schemes. Yeah. Um, and through local council and things like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I spent the first almost over a year, uh, a year and two months before I got a gig at all. And it was through a local council to play in a nursing home. Wow. So that, that, that'll show, you know, that kind of tells you where people were at. And, you know, there are people who haven't played in over those two years. Um, and I, I look, I, I consider myself very fortunate compared to a lot of the cases and a lot of stories and a lot of hardships that a lot of people were going through that I was, um, you know, I'm I, I, very lucky enough to hear about it that people, you know, mm. entrusted me with that information mm. to pass on to TDs and that, you know. 
What, what, what is encouraging from this letter that Deputy Burke wrote to the media is that there is now money there. There's a pot of money for people to get back on their feet. They just need to need, need to find out how to go about it. Yeah, so last year, I mean, um, the our Association of Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland were very much campaigned at all stages to get money to everyone. Everyone had been affected by the pandemic in, in, in this industry, and we very much campaigned to do that. Um, so that, that resulted in the Minister, Catherine Martin, creating the MEBAS Music and Entertainment Business Assistance Scheme. <clears throat> and it ran twice last year. And it was, you know, it got out to an awful lot of people. And uh, before Christmas, we campaigned very hard again for that to open up in January because of the restrictions that happened through December and January. And we also, regardless of, of, of last week's announcement, we were always cognizant of the fact that it would probably take up until March, April or beyond for a lot of people to build up and build their diaries back up. And over the, the, the first few months of the year, we were conscious that the PUP support, for example, which has been a lifeline to so many people, was being uh, reduced at all times. So thankfully, uh, the minister did announce before Christmas that she was going to uh, create the MEBAS again for this year. And, and that's going to be opened on Thursday. Now, we're just waiting on a few guidelines today to be published because mm. we've asked for certain changes to be made to it so it would be more inclusive and it would reach out to more people. But yeah. we're, we're, we're very hopeful and confident that, that those changes have been made. Yeah. So we're waiting on the final guidelines today. But I, I would encourage, uh, and PZ, it's not just, you know, it's not just musicians, musicians, singers, crew, sound yeah. engineers, uh, lighting engineers, anyone self-employed and working as freelance in the industry, yeah. they really need to check this one out because a lot of people did miss it last year. Because I know a lot of people were talking about having sold their gear and gotten rid of their amps just, just to put a bit of food on the table at one, or, one point or other. Yeah, and, I, and we've experienced that on so many occasions over the past two years where people have had to do that. And, and look, I even spoke to a man only a few weeks ago who said that he was selling all his equipment just to get out of the business because he just felt that, you know, that whatever supports were available just wasn't enough. And, and you know, we, we have had to, to fight uh, unfortunately, but we have had to fight uh, quite hard for whatever supports we did get. Yeah. Uh, and I know, you know we often hear about how, how music and entertainment and the arts are, are really highly regarded and considered, uh, especially by our politicians and by government. But sometimes over the past few years, it really didn't feel like that has been translated into, into support. Yeah. And hopefully now people will be able to uh, access this money and get themselves back on their feet. And maybe someone who had to sell an amp and a, and a pair of speakers six months ago to pay a bill might be able to buy a new pair and get themselves back on the yeah, road well, again. And if I could just, there's also another uh, grant out there but for, for people whenever you sign off the, the pandemic unemployment payment up to €1,000. And again, for self-employed sole traders as well, that they can apply... Uh, for, for equipment or costs you know, that are relevant to their business to, to get started up again. So uh, that, that's something we're going to be pushing really hard as well right. to let people, people know about that because there's, there's extra money that will really, you know, the, people have maybe their vans or, um, you know, equipment line and storage for the past couple of years. You know, they, 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 there will be costs to mm. getting all those things back up and, up and running again over the next few months. S- simple thing, that old that old Ford Transit that hasn't moved out of the driveway in the last two years is going to need damn good service and those things are expensive. Yep, yep. yep. 
and, and again, we've saw a lot of that from people, you know, um, and, and lots of people have had to sell their vans and things like that because the view, it's been there as a, their business vehicle. And again, they've had to sell that. So it'll be, I mean, it's going to be a tough road. It really is going to be a tough road this year. So again, you know, I'm urging and, and, and pleading to any businesses out there as well to really be, if you're employing musicians or if you're putting music back in your premises or anything like that, please be aware that it has been a very, very tough time. I know everyone has had a very tough time, especially in hospitality business and pubs and everywhere like that. But uh, we, we're starting a, started a campaign, just launched it yesterday called Hashtag Pay the Performer. Yeah. Just for fair and e- equitable remuneration within the Because that was well. the one thing that was worrying me, Matt, and I, I spent a, more years than I care to remember as a jobbing DJ around the place. You know, mm. um, one of the things that I would have been very much afraid of with the return of this is that, you know, people would start cutting the fee because you need yeah. the work. I, they do. I mean, this is, a, and I think it's an awful situation that we're in where workers in the industry do need to work and, and they want to work. Uh, and in that sort of desperation, they, they, feel, they may feel like they're going to have to reduce their fee. And I, I, I just say to them all now, you know, we need to stand in, in great solidarity together. Um, and I know at the risk, nobody, I don't want, to, don't want anyone to lose work, yeah. you know. Um, but it, we, we have suffered this for, for a few decades. Yeah. We don't want to get into a horrible undercutting you know? market here. We don't like no, and I think we really, we really need to stand together on this and 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 stand strong on it as well. Because over the past two years, I mean, in, in March twenty twenty, when I would have last filled my car fully going to a gig, uh, I, you know, it was about one euro twenty five a liter for diesel, and now it's one euro sixty six. There's that, yeah. There's I mean, there's a thirty percent increase there at least on average across the board, and that's not to bring in all the things public liability insurance. Everything has increased over the past couple of years, you know. So I think it's not the time we really need uh, great support where we can get it now and, and understanding, uh, not to undercut, not to, to haggle or negotiate downwards, but to try and keep fees at a certain level for people. All right. Matt, listen, always a pleasure to speak with you and I wish you and every other musician out there and every other DJ trying to get back on the road again, I wish you nothing but the best of success over the months to come. Matt McGranahan from Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. The MeBass scheme is out there. Um, you'll find it if you go looking for it and I'm sure if we, if we, if we do get more details on it the next couple of days we'll, we'll bring it to you. All right. Speaking of music, there's all sorts of different kinds of music available on the Corks 96 FM app and you can stream it online all the time. We have the Fit Mix with all the best tunes for your workout and then the Hit Mix Fresh new music non-stop around the clock on the app. You can listen on the app or a smart speaker or just go to 96fm.ie. But I'd prefer you waited till the end of the opinion line first. Have we a deal? We've a deal. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light to shine it. Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. 
Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want to I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork 96FM. Got a Christmas card on January 7th, which had been posted December 15th. We got a Christmas card posted in Cove on the 14th of December, delivered 14th of January to where? Cove. Obviously went from Cove to somewhere else, got lost, and back down to Cove again. It's ridiculous, proving what chaos closing the Little Island Depot actually caused. That's from Martina. I posted a four kilogram box to my son in New Zealand on the 30th of November. They still haven't received it. It cost me 89 euro. Previously, it would have been 50. What used to cost 22.50 for two kilos is now costing 40. Cost has increased an awful lot, and it takes months for the packages to be delivered. There's a heck of a lot of delay, delayed packages out there. Another big long one as well about people going in the hospital. I'll get back to that. But I want to talk to Adam Lacey, who's PRO of Front Runners, because they've realised, hey, running isn't for everybody, and they're going to start walking instead of running. Uh, Adam, tell me about Front Runners. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you keeping? Um, so I suppose Front Runners, we were set up uh, in 2018, in October 2018, and the Front Runners movement, movement itself, it's an international movement. So there's Front Runner clubs all across the world. Um, but in Cork, we've been here four years. And we've really done a lot of work to kind of uh, support the LGBTQ plus community in Cork and all our allies uh, in forming a, a running group like it. Um, so I suppose we have runs twice a week. Um, we meet in various different locations at the minute. We're at the Lock and uh, the Marina Market. And then um, during the pandemic, we kind of realised that there was a need for maybe people out there that want to be involved, but don't necessarily want to get involved in running itself but walking maybe is, is more suitable yeah. and that could be down to injury or just um, personal preference or whatever so we're starting our brisk walking uh, group this Saturday uh, starting at the Marina Market at 10am Okay Who is it open to? Uh, so it's open to anyone that's uh, either a member of the LGBTQ plus community or any allies or any supporters. Um, we're a really inclusive group, a really supportive group. Um, and in the four years, we've had some amazing runners and people involved that um, have really come out of the shell. Like myself, like before um, the front runners, I never ran a day in my life. I'd run the opposite way, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But um, in 2019, I did my first 10K and I was absolutely shocked. And that was down to like the support of the group and the camaraderie and the people you meet. So um, it's a really good environment and a really good um, opportunity for people to get involved. Okay. So the walk would be from the key side of the Maria Market on exactly. Saturday? Yeah, so 10 a.m. Saturday morning, we'll be meeting just along the water um, at the quay side of the Marina Market. Um, we'll do some warm-ups there, and then we'll get off on our journey. And then afterwards, we'll have a bit of a social um, gathering um, outside the Marina Market. We'll have a cup mm. of coffee and a chat afterwards. So this, uh, the social aspect is just as important as the, yeah. the exercise, I suppose. What, what's the, the route of the walk, and how long will it take? Um, so it'll be around a half-an-hour walk. Um, it'll be, coincide with the running group that will be running at the same time. Um, and we will go probably around the Atlantic Pond and up uh, along the marina and then finishing back up at the marina market half an hour after. Mm. The social gathering is a very important element of it too, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. And like when you think about it, like the pandemic has really affected our lives over the last two years and people are really craving that kind of social interaction and kind of uh, wanting to get back out now and meet people. And especially in, in communities like the LGBT community in Cork and um, all around the world, I suppose, there's, there's a need for people to feel included and like wanted. And I suppose there's, there's a massive element of that. And visibility is really important as well mm. um, for the community. Like when you look at sports like soccer and stuff and um, how difficult it is for people um, that maybe identify as LGBT uh, to come out and how important it is for young people in society to have those role models. Um, the visibility of it all is important as, as well as everything else, I suppose. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with it, Adam. Do you have a, a website Perfect. or a Facebook page people can we look do, up more? Of course. Yeah. So we are on Instagram and we're on Facebook. Um, so it's Frontrunners Cork on both of those. And if people are interested in coming along, they can send us a message on either of those and we'll get back to them. All right. Adam. Adam Lacey, PRO of Frontrunners. And that first walk, the Frontrunners walk, or I think they're, 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 they're calling it brisk walkers, at 10 o'clock on the quayside of the Marina Market, which is just a fabulous, fabulous place. Uh, Saturday morning, January 29th. The Marina Market is just great. Absolutely great. I mean, the food alone is worth the wonder down. 0818 96 96 96. The programme, I don't know, I haven't been talking about it during the morning, but I know a lot of people last night very, very angry watching Crimes and Confessions. It was the last part of a three part, excellent three part series by RTE looking at crimes that, well, should not people should not have been convicted and I'm going back to watch the first two episodes in more detail because I'm only glancing at them but I was watching last night's one which was about the Kerry Babies case and I remember the Kerry Babies case like it was just yesterday I was a science student in UCC at the time and one of the things I was studying was biology and zoology and I was listening to all this guff coming out of, of the guards about who had this baby and who had that baby and who had the other baby and thinking that's absolute guff nonsense and unscientific garbage and sure later on it was all proven to be true and what what was done to Joanna and her family was just ah stop they just no explanation no excuses no nothing and without going into the content of the programme last night I'd advise you to watch it it's on the RTE player if you remember the Kerry Babies or even if you don't uh, watch it but don't have any sharp objects and don't have anything that you might want to throw at the television screen and that is all I will say 0818 96 96 96 excellent piece of documentary making by the way from, from RTE and they, you know we, 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 we criticise them a lot and they get a bit wrong from time to time. But by God, when they do something right, it's worth the it's worth the license fee. Bernie says, I'm getting Christmas cards right into the middle of January. All the decorations are down and the new year is gone. And all of a sudden, you're back into that Christmas vibe of friends and family. Should they go all the way to Port Leash and back? And the devil knows what. It's true what people are saying. Some of these things, like the card from Cove to Cove, could literally be sorted locally, especially at Christmas. That's the best I've heard, though. Someone who posted a Christmas card in Cove on the 14th of December and it arrived in Cove on the 14th of January. I think that's the best I've heard so far on this one. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. I see no spoilers on that documentary, but I remember watching it last night. And as you all know, uh, my dad was uh, was in the guards for for thirty years, and I was watching an interview there with a retired detective. That's all I'll tell you. And I could hear a rumbling sound over my head, and I thought that's my dad spinning in his grave. And that's all I'd say. But go watch it for yourself. Crimes and confessions on the RTE player. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. About five hundred people approximately, die by suicide in Ireland every year. And there's a lot of research going on right now as to the effect that suicide has on those who knew the person. And and we all know that, well, in the immediate family, the immediate close friends, you know, it's devastating. It's totally devastating. But what we're also realising is that more and more, there's a ripple effect. And an incredible statistic that I've just read. For everybody who dies by suicide in Ireland, approximately 135 people are affected. That's a huge number. I spoke previously on the opinion line with Fiona Toomey, uh, who's the founder of the HUG project, which is helping untold grief groups. And I just want to bring her in to talk about this survey they have now for people who are bereaved by suicide and they want to find out more about that bereavement and more about the effect upon them. But I'll bring you in on that figure, Fiona. Good morning to you again. It's an enormous number of people affected by a suicide. Good morning, PJ. It absolutely is. Um, And when you think about it, from the number of people who are registered as having died by suicide every year, which is about 500, that's 60,000 people every year not in total, that's every single year, who may need some form of support in their bereavement. So, you know, the effects, like you had said, the ripple effects of how that can affect people's lives, their everyday lives, is enormous. And we don't know very much about it. Mm. We know practically nothing. Like, you understand how an immediate family and very close friends are devastated. But then again, if you know someone through work or you knew someone through through sport or something, you it, it's natural to ask ourselves, what did we miss? Absolutely. You are absolutely right. And this is the factor in every single suicide, that people are left with the questions of why, could I have done something differently? Did I miss something? And this has an enormous effect on people and the way they process the grief. There was a piece of research, the only other English-speaking country in the world that has done any research on this are our neighbours in the UK. And their recent research told us that of friends who lost somebody by suicide, somebody who lost a friend to suicide, one in four of these died by suicides themselves subsequent oh. to that original suicide, oh, God. which is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, we know that people and they're, you know, your listeners and, and, and these are the people, if I may, I want to talk to people listening now to this program, PJ, who may have been affected by a suicide or directly impacted by a suicide. Please, please take some time and take part in this survey because Irish people have never been asked this question before. How has it affected their life? 
And this is something that anybody can take part in by going onto our website, hug.ie, H-U-G-G.ie, because mm-hmm. the difference it can make in the supports that are provided, you know, whether they're statutory or by NGOs or charities, you know, this is the only way we're going to find out what people need. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of helping somebody after a suicide. Yeah. We can't go back and change things, but this can help somebody in the future who unfortunately will be facing into this bereavement. Yes. Maybe one of the reasons, and this is, I'm asking your view on this more than anything else, maybe one of the reasons that no research has ever been done, um, or very little at least, is that until recent times, Fiona, suicide was something that we we didn't talk about. The man down the road died. He just died. We never discussed it. It was buried. And, and we never talked and it, about and it. And it still is. Yeah, yeah. It still is. Unfortunately, PJ, you're absolutely right on that again. I mean, stigma still exists. We talk about mental health, you know, which is fantastic. But talking about suicide, it's a subject that very few people are comfortable with. We know that some people choose not to even recognize it as a suicide, you know, which is unfortunate and it happens. Um, We know that some people after feel themselves, they self-stigmatize. They don't like to say that their loved one died by suicide because they feel that it lessens them in other people's eyes, which, of course, it doesn't. You know, and that's an added trauma when you're already traumatized to feel that the person you love dearly is somehow seen as lesser than after they've died because it's been a suicide. And all of these things have a traumatic effect on how people function afterwards. And this is long term. It's not short term. You have rather a few men, as in you're looking for more men to respond to your survey. They seem reticent. It's a man thing, I think. They seem reticent to talk. Uh, Unfortunately, yes. And I'm really hoping that your listeners will help turn that around because, you know, half the population is men and 80% of our suicides, unfortunately, are men. And yet we have only had about 23% of our respondents are male. We need to hear from men. We need to hear from men, whether it was in a professional capacity, you know, first responders, you know, rescue guardee, you know, the people who unfortunately come in contact with suicides on a regular basis through their work. People who've lost friends and colleagues, people who've lost teammates, people who've lost family members. And to reassure people, this is totally anonymous. We're not gathering any names. This is totally safe and anonymous to do this. Mm. And this will really help more people in the future. And what kind because of questions you did you survey? Sorry, sorry to cut across you. What kind of questions no. did your survey ask? Well, it asks a number of different questions and they don't all have to be answered. You know, people can choose to skip a section if it's not relevant to them. So it obviously will do for some people, it will deal with, you know, how they have function from a grief point of view or from a well-being point of view. But it also asks people to tell us in their own words, you know, how how things have impacted on their life. What do how do they cope or didn't cope? Did anybody help them? You know, did they look for any help? And if so, did they get any? Not everybody does. And unfortunately, you know, about 80% of people don't look for any help whatsoever. And now, that, that might be okay. But, you know, we know that in real terms, 
most people need some form of support and it has to be whatever suits them. And if we don't know what suits them, we can't provide it. And I say we as in as a country. Yeah. Let me let me quote to you two sayings that I think are horrendously dangerous in our society. And they're still there. One is man up and the other is boys yeah. don't cry. Absolutely. And, you know, I was told by um, the our research partners, the NSRF, that some of the respondents, the male respondents that we've had, have said exactly that, said we're expected to put up and shut up, you know, to get on, to get on with our grief and not to talk about it. And then if we do, you know, our, you know, our friends or our family get very uncomfortable with it because it's like you say, it's quite a new thing, you know, to people. How do we open up? And, you know, what we don't know is, is what, how would men like to be supported? You know, not everybody wants or needs to go to therapy or come to a group that but if we don't know what they need, you know, it could be through sport. It could be through activities. You know, they have to tell us and we desperately need to hear from them. And there are people who are listening who maybe have never been affected by a suicide, but they might know somebody who has been. Mm. And they could do us a huge service by asking them to take part in this. There's an, an incredible organisation that I think, you know, might at some some and again you don't know until you get the results of a survey. I mean, the, the men's shed organisation is a phenomenal group yes. of people. Absolutely, they do great work, and you know we link in with them. Good. I mean, from Hug's point of view and everybody, we try and link in with every single part of society that make up who we are. I mean, men's shed have done an enormous job of bringing people together who maybe have been isolated, you know, and people in more rural settings maybe people who've retired and have more time on their hands. We know that suicide, unfortunately, nobody's immune. There is no set immunity that kind of said that will never touch my life. But we do know that bereavement by suicide puts you at a 10 times higher risk of dying by suicide. That is that is very, so, very scary. That, that is, is very scary. scary. Okay. You're taking responses, I think, for the next few days still, yeah? We are indeed. I mean, if people have until the end of January, so we'd ask them to go on to hugg.ie, that's ourselves, that's HUG, and take part in the survey. You can take your time. You can pause and come back to it. It will be saved exactly where you have, you know, left off. It's anonymous. I think that's key to tell Mm, people. So please, you never have to give your name or any of your details, but please help us to help people in the future. Okay, hugg.ie and then forward slash suicide bereavement survey. Fiona, thank you and uh, continued success with, with your work. It's it's very, very important work. That's Fiona Toomey, founder of HUG and indeed working in conjunction with the National Suicide Federation. And great to hear that the men's sheds are involved because they're a remarkable group of people. And uh, here's just on into us here, two of my brothers died from suicide. Two others have suicidal thoughts. Well, I'm desperately sorry for for your loss. And I suppose I should point out when we're talking about something like this, that look, if you've been affected by it, there are helplines help available. Um, text hello to 50808 is, is one helpline. The Samaritans have their free phone, 116123. Uh, the Irish Hospice Foundation has a bereavement support line. Uh, there's Pieta and there's many others. So talk to a friend or talk to your doctor. Or if you find yourself in a serious trouble, 
uh, dial 112 or, or 999, simple as. On hospitals, my niece was taken into hospital yesterday and transferred after initial investigation to another hospital. She's 13. Her phone by this stage had gone dead. Her family's phones outside had gone dead from all the running around. So there was no contacting them by the hospital. I rang A&E because they were busy and said I'd go on hold and do all the waiting. I said I was put on hold. Um, just misreading that there. I rang this this caller rang the hospital and said, look, I'll take the pressure off. I'll deal with the hospital. She was put on hold. After 46 minutes, it cuts you off and you have to start again. With the highest respect for the doctors and nurses working out there and full acknowledgement that we're in a pandemic and it affects every everybody, this can't go on. They have to come up with some way that a distraught family can get information about a child in hospital who has already been transferred. You have to put in a system that works. I don't know who needs to run it or how they run it, but you've lots of administrators up there. You can't just leave families in an information vacuum. Yeah, that's actually, that's that's scary. That's terrible that, that this 13-year-old is taken into hospital. Hope she's okay. I really hope she's okay. But she was transferred to another hospital. And of course, the family, you'd be frantic. You'd be frantic trying to find out what's going on. So one friend, this caller, said, look, I'll look, I'll take care of this. I'll call the hospital. I'll get the information for you. And just hanging around on the phone, being told nothing. And you can't get to talk to a human being. It's not good enough. Not good enough at all. 0818 96 96 96. Let me get a couple more of the... Uh, oh, yeah. On the climate. Talk about climate change earlier on and the ESRI. Where's this data coming from about beef? It must be bogus. This is the data that the ERSI, ESRI were saying that if you get a, a, a beef from down the county and you have it for your Sunday dinner, its carbon footprint is as big, if not bigger, than fruit coming from the four corners of the world. The aircraft companies produce tons of fuel exhaust, damaging our world. Our country has the best beef. I think the huge farms in South Africa, South America, bought by financials, want to stop us. Our beef is best. There's nobody doubting our beef is best. Our beef is the best of the world. Um, that's my response to that, but... It does have a sizable carbon footprint. Here with regard to postal delays, in December 2020, I posted a Christmas card to my friend Audrey, who lives in the city. She texted me in November saying, my goodness, you're so organised for December 24, 21. Yeah, that's a delay if ever there was one. Okay, you know that area down there of Tremor Valley Park? Not the new park now where people go walking and running and taking their dogs and their bikes and all that, but the rest of it. The rest of it. Interesting plan to turn that into a kind of an artwork. Something that we can all have a bit of love for because we will put the work in. Uh, Sean Taylor and Marilyn Lennon join me to talk about the Kinship Project at Tremor Valley Park. Good morning, guys. Morning. Sean, would you start off with you? Explain to me what the Kinship Program is. It's to take this old for a better word, dump, and turn it into something we all love? 
Well, yeah, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, it's the initiative came from uh, Creative Ireland. It was part of their Climate Action Fund uh, competition. They put out a call to uh, us creatives to see if we could try and solve all the problems of, the, of climate change in the world, starting in Tremor Valley Park in Cork, of course. Um, but no, to be serious for a moment, um, the, um, the, the idea really was to um, run a series of events in Tremor Valley Park um, over the course of, of the year um, where we can hopefully begin to start a dialogue about maybe affecting sort of a, a level of behavioural change in relation to climate change um, and then maybe encouraging people to be more proactive in doing their little bit uh, for the environment. And it's kind of fitting that we, we've, we've um, located the, the project in what was, what was the, the former landfill site uh, for, um, for Cork City mm. in Tremor Valley Park. Yeah. Marilyn, we're, we're talking about the parts of the park that's not now where the walking track is and the running area, I'm assuming. Um, we're talking about the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, we, we've gotten to know the park really well. Um, so if you're looking at that, all that sort of those pitches and the walking track, there's a hill up behind that. That's literally where the dump was. And then behind that again, to sort of if you're if you're facing the 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 motorway behind that's there's an area there of re, almost rewilded trees around uh, Tremor stream the mm. lake there and there's the wetlands as well to the Douglas side of the park so it's actually a really interesting place when you have a really good look around there's mm. a huge amount of biodiversity there already mm. lots of um, you know like there's otters in the river there's yeah different birds in that wetland um, and then there's like over the over the dump where you know that where all that landfill is there's a whole set of new sort of plants and um, all sorts of species are starting to grow there. Mm. I remember uh, as, a, as a young lad uh, we used to go down to the river and get frog spawn. Yeah I know I mean it's it's it, it has everything that park it's very unusual you know like to take something that was such an industrial site and to sort of walk around it now and feel like you well there's definitely a sort of a remnants of the history there but it's a it's a, a wildlife space now mm. you know and that that's really that's kind of an amazing thing so the plan would be to 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 leave it alone uh, as it is but to use it as as a functional space would that be it sean yeah, that's part of it. We're also trying to think about what if we could imagine um, a different function from the park? Because I suppose traditionally parks are seen as a sort of a, a resource for a community. But what if what if the park could also be a place where, um, for example, food was produced? What if we could put allotments into parks? What if we could put um, uh, beekeeping in, into into public parks, like like the way they are in the continent, for example, in in Paris, uh, parks are very uh, have have much more purposes than say the parks that we have here in in, in Cork. Um, so th- so that's part and parcel of the thinking as well that um, we could we could use these uh, if we if we could get these kind of activities going in the park and show people how to do things uh, on a very simple level. Then again, we can we can we can 
possibly address that issue of how we might affect sort of behavioral yeah. change over the long term in the way that we all behave. So yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice to go to a park where it's kind of living and breathing. It's got a great sort of biodiversity system in it, but it's also then uh, producing food and yeah. and the idea of actually producing something. Uh, like food in, in in what was an old municipal dump is is very very exciting. Yeah. So Mar- Marilyn, what are the first events, or how can people find out more? So we have um, over the whole over the course of the whole year, we have four different activities. The first one that people can get involved in straight away is a program that's citizen led, which is we what we've done is we've made an open call where um, we're inviting anyone who has. Um, expertise or know-how or skills or they can do a demonstration or a walk or a talk that will sort of feed into the whole idea that of of kinship of like having this new relationship with the park and thinking about biodiversity and thinking about our relationship with the park and the history of the park. So the first of those um, events is a nature walk with Cork Nature Network, who's one of our seven partners actually on the project. And um, so they, they've got an Eventbrite page up and running and anyone who wants to look at that can look at the Kinship Project Eventbrite, Eventbrite page and that's a way to immediately get started. But we also have artist placements that are going to be happening over the year. So artists come in and they spend time in the park. And we have um, a really exciting international architecture and building project where we're inviting designed for an eco lab which would be built using the best sustainable practices and materials that'll be happening over the next year and then sean myself have also got a a a sort of a deep mapping creative deep mapping of the purple we're inviting people to join Mm. us as well straight away here's a message come in can't wait to get back to tremor valley park great work being done well worth a visit. So it sounds like people are loving the idea. And we'll find out more kinship projects. Is there a handy website that we can jump on to have a look at? Well, if you actually put in Kinship Cork into Google, it'll bring you to the Cork City Council Kinship website page. So, or if you want to put in Cork uh, or Kinship Cork City Council, you'll find it there as well. Okay. Okay, and we'll find out more maybe during the year. We'll catch up again because it sounds like a marvelous project. Uh, we all, I think, we all grew up there. We all spent time there as as, as youngsters. Um, it's great to see, great to see something happening with it. Sean Taylor and Marilyn Lennon, thank you. That's it for today. The program edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.